Hey everybody, Chris and Holly here. Hi! And just uh, before we get started on the Shazam episode of this podcast, we just wanted to say this episode in particular is the spoiler-free episode. Yeah, so if you have not seen Shazam yet, listen to this episode. As I just said, spoiler-free, as much as it can be. Yeah, but also if you've seen Shazam, you can also listen to this episode. It isn't like... You're not allowed to. You can do that. Yes, there will be another episode that'll be spoiler-filled. But again, this one is spoiler-free. All right, hope you guys enjoy it. That's the 1974 Shazam TV show theme song. Shazam! Hi, and welcome to a very special episode of the AT&WB podcast. I am your host, as always, Chris Taylor, but I'm joined here today with the one and only, our resident Harry Potter expert, but we will not be talking about a Harry Potter movie this time. In fact, we will be talking about Shazam and how we saw it a little bit early, but the person who's joining me right now, is Holly Levesque. Hi, guys! It's Holly! (laughs) Yay! (laughs) So, yes, we saw Shazam early, about two weeks early. Yeah, I got an email from Fandango, and they said, would you like to see this movie early? And I said, hell yeah. Absolutely. (laughs) So, we... Went and saw it, and it was pretty remarkable. And we're going to have an early review right here, right now, for you. Absolutely. So, as I already said, the movie was wonderful. It was imaginative. It was well acted. I felt the through lines were perfect throughout the entire movie. And I felt there was an obvious assertion that people make where it's like big meets Spider-Man, I would say, and I feel like it holds true to that throughout the film. I feel like it's what Spider-Man's always wanted to be and never could be. I don't even think it, I don't even know. It's not like any other superhero movie I've ever seen. Yeah. Well, it's definitely not like a Marvel movie. No, it's better than a Marvel movie. It's better than any Marvel movie I've ever seen. Wow. Yeah. I mean, and the, like, I don't have a pref- like. I like all comic book movies. It isn't like I'm a diehard one fan either way, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like where we used to say Marvel movies were bright and colorful, while DC movies were kind of drab and weary in their colors, I feel this movie makes Marvel movies look drab and weary in their colors. I feel like with, this, yeah, with how bright and vibrant it was. This movie made me feel like. Marvel movies have, like, a weird filter on. Like, is that sepia? Is that crema? Is that Valencia? Like, I don't know exactly, but everything kind of looks a little bit blurry and not real. Like, I definitely felt like Shazam was set in a world like mine. And I don't think any world I've seen in Marvel is anything like my world. Yeah, well, I think there's a layer of, you know, there's always a layer of CG and processing, CG processing that comes with these. So you can see a movie like Captain Marvel and with each scene that Samuel L. Jackson's in, obviously they have to then go in and digitally change him and tone him down and, and age him down to be 90 Samuel L. Jackson. So that means that they took all of these 
parts of the film. And then, you know, for months, like a year, they were already done, but they're just in this post-production process with these things. And I feel like that almost mutes the colors in some way. But then again, I mean, this movie has CG everywhere throughout it. Oh, hell yeah. It. They have, but their CG was like Ghostbusters. Like, this felt like yeah. the Ghostbusters, like the Seven Deadly Sins. It felt like that. It didn't feel like, this is a CGI monster. I'm like, this is a Ghostbusters gargoyle yes. from hell. Also, at some point, they also play Mortal Kombat in this movie. And I just want to say Mortal Kombat is a Warner Brothers property. Mm. They completely own everything Mortal Kombat. They make the games themselves now. With the original, well, half of the original creators. Throughout the movie, there are these almost Spielbergian reactions that people are having to Shazam and to all of the situations that are happening. And I feel like this is something that Joss Whedon tried to do and failed at when making Avengers, which is shift the focus from the superheroes to the people on the street which is what the comic Marvels did. It showed mm-hmm. you moments in Marvel history, but from the perspective of people on the street. And I feel like this movie has done it the best and did it so well, seeing just people's reactions to the situations that were happening. I think it captured people's reactions beautifully in that aspect. Definitely. And throughout the entire movie, too, they never call him Shazam. They keep making up all these different names for him, and they keep using... One of them specifically is Captain Thunder something, which is funny because just I believe Captain Thunder was his original name Mm. for a moment. The movie was just really, really fun. And I think the feeling that I got from it, it reminded me of the Joel Schumacher Batman movies, but in a good way. Absolutely. (laughs) The bright colors, the fun. This seems like a continuation of those 90s, DC Comics Warner Brothers films. Absolutely. I love those movies so much, but I'm partial to them personally. Yeah, I mean, Batman Forever would be my favorite Batman movie. I know it's not the best Batman movie, but it's my favorite Batman movie. It's a great Batman movie. Don't let anyone tell you. The only reason why it isn't the best one, and I will tell you this, is because Luke Perry is not Robin in that movie. Why? Like, why wasn't Luke Perry Robin? Yeah, it makes no sense. This is the question I have right now. With Why wasn't Jason Priestley Robin? I would have accepted either of them. Chris O'Donnell, go suck it. We love you, Chris O'Donnell, <laughs> but... Yeah. You were not that relevant in the 90s. Yeah, those other two were much more relevant in the 90s. So I want to go back to now the origin of Shazam and where he originates from. Wilford Hamilton Captain Billy Fawcett started Fawcett Publishing in 1919 with the release of the Mad Magazine-like magazine Captain Billy's Whizbang, and Wiz was spelled W-H-I-Z. Fast forward to 1939, and they create Fawcett Comics after they saw National Comics' success with Superman and Batman. So in that same year as Batman's debut, they debut their first superhero, Captain Marvel. But before he was Captain Marvel, Bill Parker was developing six separate characters with six different superpowers. They would each get their superpowers from different mythological figures. Then the executive director suggested combining all the characters into one character with the power of all six, and then that's when Captain Thunder was created which explains the lightning bolt on Shazam's chest. And throughout this movie, they're calling him Captain Thunder something, or they're using Thunder as his name. 
they get very silly with it. They call them probably 50 different names throughout Absolutely. this movie to really play home this this fun that they're having with his name and fun that we've been having with his name throughout the entire mythology of this character. So they release the comic book under two different names initially, Flash Comics and Thrill Comics, but Fawcett Comics then realized the trademarks were already taken for not only Flash Comics and Thrill Comics, but also for Captain Thunder. So also C.C. Beck was the illustrator of the character. If you go into the movie, they do mention very briefly Billy's father's name, and I believe he's in a prison in Florida or he died in Florida or something like that. They say it very quickly in the movie, but uh, they do say that the dad's name is CC something mm. in the movie, which is a reference to the original illustrator and a co-creator of this character. So they went with Captain Marvelous back in the day, and then they shortened it simply to Captain Marvel. And the book was renamed to a trademark they already had, Wiz Comics which goes back to that original magazine that Fawcett was releasing, which was Captain Billy's Whiz Bang. So again, W-H-I-Z. The writer's goal with Shazam at the beginning was simple. It was to go away from the silly pulp they saw other comic publications pump out, and they wanted to deep dive into the mythology of classical times. So that's why Shazam, the word actually stands for Solomon, Hercules, Atlas, Zeus, Achilles, and Mercury. And with all of those powers combined, you get the superhero of Shazam. Now, again, originally this was going to be six different characters with six different superpowers. So each one, like one was going to have the power of Solomon, one was going to have the power of Hercules, uh, Atlas, Zeus, Achilles, and Mercury. But instead, they all are combined into this one character. Yeah, something that they touch upon in the movie. They mention all of that, where he has the power of all of these gods. Yeah, the original Shazam, Digimon Hansu, says that uh, in the film. And also, Billy Baston's name came from Captain Billy, Captain Billy's whiz-bang that's what it's called, right? Yeah, just Captain Billy's Whizbang, I guess, magazine. Captain Billy's Whizbang magazine. So then in issue two, uh, Dr. Savannah was there of the original run. And in 1941, Mary Baston, who was Billy's twin, and Freddie Freeman were also superheroes, respectively called Mary Marvel and Captain Marvel Jr. Now, they would stay kids when transforming back in the Fawcett comic days. National Comics, a.k.a. what is now DC Comics, sued Fawcett Comics over the similarities of Captain Marvel slash Shazam to Superman. He ceased publication and gave National Comics $400,000 at that time. 1953 was the last year for Fawcett Comics. The creative team behind Captain Marvel went on to work for DC Comics. In 1963, they even snuck Captain Marvel illegally into issue 43 of the Lois Lane comic, which I believe was called like Superman's girlfriend, Lois Lane. <laughs> Fawcett Publishing struck a deal with DC Comics in 1972 to license the characters. And that's when DC Comics came out with Shazam, the original Captain Marvel, until issue 15, when it was retitled Shazam, the world's mightiest mortal. In 1974, due to a cease and desist letter from Marvel Comics, who had since in that time created their own Captain Marvel. That sucks, because they had it first. <laughs> yeah. Just really unfortunate, honestly. Yeah, like, that doesn't seem fair, but whatever. Things aren't fair. Yeah. 
But now we're in the more DC Comics realm. And legally, DC Comics wasn't allowed to call the comic book Captain Marvel. But still within the continuity, they're calling the character Captain Marvel. Hmm. That seems very confusing. Very confusing. Which you can see why they made it confusing that his name, that he didn't have a name throughout the entire movie. Totally. So previous to Crisis on Infinite Earths, they made Shazam's continuity part of Earth-S. After Crisis on Infinite Earths in 1985, the new version of Shazam kept Billy's personality when he becomes Shazam, which justified the sunny 1950s personality in the original run in a way. So, you know, the 19, you know, he almost had like a childlike look on the view on the world and he does now and it's more justified. By 1991, DC Comics took control of all of the Shazam rights, including the other characters from Fawcett Publishing, which was now owned by CBS Publications, Fawcett Publishing. Billy, Freddie, and Mary are part of the original lineup, but in 2011, for the New 52 reboot, they added Eugene, Darla, and Pedro. All six would turn into one Captain Thunder, which gets back to Shazam's origin. So for the New 52, yeah, they had the six of them turn into what was the original character. So they got back to that original idea I was talking about earlier. This is also the New 52 back in 2011 is where Billy became a foster kid. So that actually hasn't been in the comics that long, but it works so well in Definitely. this movie. And I remember back in 2011, people were complaining about him being a foster kid because, you know, Mary was his twin sister and every, they were all connected and now it felt that they weren't. But, you know, the movie is about that, is about having them connect more, just not through blood. Yeah, just tap on your chosen family. Yeah. My big thing was even before seeing this movie, I have a big conspiracy theory. Are you guys ready for this? Is that everyone's been going around. I've seen so many articles about why did James Gunn go back to Marvel? Why is he back to Guardians of the Galaxy 3? Why did Disney allow him why to come back? Why did Disney allow this to happen? Especially because he's been at, you know, he's obviously going to be doing Suicide Squad, Suicide Squad 2. The uh, Suicide Squad. <clears throat> sorry. It's not, sorry, it's not a sequel, guys. It's not. Will Smith isn't going to be in it. What good is this movie to me? Whole other thing. So people are like, why did they, this happen? Why did they suddenly make this announcement? I will tell you guys why. It happened the day after the first reviews for Shazam came out. This movie was so good, Disney had no choice but to bring James Gunn back to their fold because they needed him back there. Because... You could have argued that the success of the former DC movies that they've had Such so as far, Wonder Woman and Aquaman, the yeah. two successful ones post-Christopher Nolan. Could be seen as a drawn audience due to... Sexuality. Se like, sexual exploitation of these characters. And I'm not just saying the superheroes because, look at that, Wonder Woman, Chris Pine, is sexualized to the 10th degree in yeah, that and movie. He's, he's cupping his junk in that movie. <laughs> yeah. And he's super sexualized in Wonder Woman. But so is Jason Momoa. I mean, Warner Brothers sold that movie based off of mothers loving Jason yeah. Momoa. How many memes did you see about mothers going to see Aquaman? 
your mom sent you a meme about mom seeing Aquaman. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's how many. <laughs> yeah. That's it's a thing. It's definitely and a they thing. pushed it. They pushed it they on pushed daytime it. talk shows. Absolutely, and it had a huge built-in audience as well because of Game of Thrones. And although, like, obviously, R.I.P. to his character in Game of Thrones is that he doesn't last long, but his his legacy is there. You know. Yeah, and that's the thing that DC needs to realize, and I think they're realizing that now, especially with getting Zachary Levy's Levi. And getting Jason Momoa and even Gal Gadot to a degree, they're finally getting people who are almost famous, who have been in big things, but haven't been the main thrust of that big thing. Or have very niche audiences, because Chuck was like a huge show and people really appreciated that. And then like, you know. Yeah, but they aren't huge movie stars. They're TV stars, but they aren't huge, huge movie stars. And this becoming... The superhero becoming Wonder Woman, becoming Aquaman, becoming Shazam is teetering them over the edge and making them super famous. But I think that's what they need to do. I think that's the perfect type of actor to get to be in these movies. Absolutely. Not Ben Affleck. Sorry, Ben. Yeah, you're not Batman. One, you're not Batman. I'm sorry. I don't know why anyone... I don't understand that. But like, that's not your fault. It's, it's not like you were like, it's I'm not your Ben fault. Affleck and I want to be Batman. Listen, you wrote these words in Goodwill Hunting. It's not your fault. Yeah, it's not your fault. It's just, not your fault. Just, just, just remember that. So I truly believe that Marvel really did not consider DC to be a threat. Like, good for you. You guys made Suicide Squad. You got that together. Oh, you made Wonder Woman. That was that was good. Maybe we'll do. Maybe we'll maybe we'll make Captain Marvel in response to that. You know, maybe we'll make our own female superhero movie. And then when Aquaman came along, they were like, "Oh, well, that did really well it as looks well." Like DC's writing their ship. Yeah, you know. Ironically, then, it took the water movie to write their ship. And then it took them, you know, losing James Gunn, and they didn't even act upon that. Like his deal with DC has been done for months. It isn't like this deal just came out this year. This is like last year's news, you know? So why would they do this now? It's because they knew Shazam was so goddamn good because it is so goddamn good that they should be shitting bricks. I would be, and they clearly are. That's the only reason why you would Disney as a family-friendly brand where like you bring your grandmother there with like your six-month-old like nephew, you know, to go somewhere and you're going to rehire a guy who makes jokes about... Well, fuck, made. Made jo- past no, tense. Disney knew who he was when they well, hired definitely. him. And yeah. that was their mistake for, n- for like, one, hiring a property, which you are. Like, you're... He is a property. Like, he is... Like, yeah, I mean, he... He's a talent, you know, and they should have known better than to hire someone who casually makes jokes about uh, fucking kids. I think that that was, you know... I mean, he made a show for FX called James Gunn's PG Porn, So, which Disney now owns since they own FX, but that's besides the point. But the idea that he even presented it as James Gunn's PG Porn, like yeah. he was the branding for it. They knew exactly what they were getting into when they hired him. Yeah, but then they realized it wasn't part of their brand and that they have the opportunity to be the monsters that they are in this industry now that they can hire whatever they want. So maybe I don't think that a man who makes these type of jokes would recommend, would like really be my brand. So they didn't want him. And it took this movie being so good, secretly so good, so much so that they're doing early release things so people will get the word out there. Like, 
This is the reason why. And I like no one can tell me anything different because there is no other reason other than Disney being scared shitless. Because they also know that the re- the live action, you can't you can't see me, guys, but I'm doing quotations when I say live action remakes are going to flop this year. Except for maybe Dumbo, because I'm not going to see it because I'm not seeing any of those movies. But that looks really good, but very traumatic, like the regular Dumbo. God, yeah, but damn it. Will Smith's Aladdin is going to be really bad. Ugh, how dare they? And there's no need to do this to The Lion King. It's just silly. Yeah, but whatever. This is not a, this is not a Disney podcast. This is this is a Warner Brothers podcast. So let's stick to Shazam. Let's stick to Shazam. This is a game changer for them, and they know it. They definitely know absolutely it. like one hundred and fifty percent. They are confident this movie is going to be hit because it is, guys. It one hundred percent is. I that's, cannot wait to see this movie over and over again. This that's why they did movie. the early screenings of it. They knew it was a hit. They want positive yeah. word of mouth, and it's like, and real, they're getting it definitely. It was so snappy, so funny, really just felt like more like a superhero movie that's actually like a superhero in the, but like kick-ass kind of. Yeah. I think that DC Comics has finally found their branding for giant tentpole superhero movies, which is, which they've had all along. They've had it since Batman Forever. They just didn't know how to do it again and do it properly again. They got so scared with Batman and Robin that they turned on a dime and they decided to go so dark and earnest with Batman Begins and the whole Dark Knight trilogy with Nolan yeah. and really try to justify everything into the story world. And that's what really created the modern superhero movie, justifying everything within the story world is what Iron Man did. And then now we now we get back to DC really fully embracing what they've always been doing all along. It's dark, but it's funny. It's because like, there's so much darkness in this movie, I think from our villain's origin story to our hero's origin story. And there's dark elements to this, like that are rooted not in like hypothetical things, but emotional, like traumatic events, you know, which I think is really relatable. But I think for me personally in my life and things I've seen is that so much humor comes from the worst situations in life. Like there's so many, like you may not laugh at it now, but funny things are said during it. And years from now, you know, the awful things that are happening to you are hilarious. Yeah. But yeah. So guys, like, don't be afraid to go see this movie. It's going to be great. Uh, a lot of cursing, I would say. I'm going to go see it a few more times. Definitely. For sure. And then the next DC film up on the docket is Wonder Woman 1984. Yeah, which is, guys, it's not a sequel. It's a standalone movie. We're Indiana Jones times. Exactly. And this felt very standalone. Absolutely. You know, you see the newspapers for a second that seem to be what happens in Batman versus Superman mm-hmm. and Man of Steel, but maybe not. I mean, again, we don't see Henry Cavill's face and... They make Superman and Batman feel very... They're just obviously in this world. I mean, they're important to the story because they're inspiring the people within it. And literally every freaking kid in this goddamn movie is wearing a DC logo on their backpack or their person at all times, you know? So they're definitely in the world, in the zeitgeist, but they're just like, you know, like any heroes we have in our world. But like, who are heroes? Like Barack Obama. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Samuel Jackson. Samuel Jackson. Like, <laughs> no. who are your personal superheroes, you know? So just people that are, like, in the zeitgeist of our world, and so they are, but, like, because they're the heroes, you know? 
Yeah. But they don't overshadow it and they don't need bookends like Wonder Woman had of Batman for some reason. And you're like, why is Ben Affleck in this movie? <laughs> Sorry, Ben Affleck. I think you're an amazing director and writer. Well, that was the, yeah, that's really the only thing that ruined, not Wonder ruined Woman. Wonder Woman, but the only thing that was like, eh, you don't need to have Batman in no. this. You don't need to frame your first female superhero movie yeah. around a male. No. Like, that just is inappropriate. But yeah. that's another story for another time. So this has been Chris Taylor and... Holly. And that's all, folks. Roar! This has been a full dinosaur production.